This episode of The Clear Out was recorded on the 13th of February 2024 at home in Wicklow. And in it, amongst other things, I talk about Valentine's Day, uh, romance, uh, departing guinea pigs, and why Ireland might not be such a great place to be um, or to stay. That's the first little part of the episode. And then most of the episode is taken up with two other topics. One is me talking about writing and my writing process and how I try to find um, the the writing voice that I like. And that's that was sort of that, that, that line of thinking. Um, and that topic was prompted by a great little stay I had only last week at a writer's retreat up in Northern Ireland. So I talk more about that. And also um, I talk in some detail about the 1968 film The Lion in Winter um, because I watched that while I was away as well and really enjoyed it and it um, I had to draw a certain connection to people quite close to me <laughs> upon the conclusion of that film so uh, stay tuned okay that's what's coming up I hope you enjoy it I will see you around the corner cheers change my mind leaving the dream behind Keep my inside. hi my name is dara clear and you're listening to the clear out you're very welcome welcome to the second second third the third week of february that's just begun hasn't it how are you did you do anything nice for valentine's day were you thinking of love or is the type of love that we're sold on Valentine's Day absolute garbage, rubbish? Is it complete crap? Maybe, maybe. At the time of recording, um, it's not quite Valentine's Day. Um, I feel there's not going to be much action <laughs> in hashtag blessed where I reside with my wife and daughter and the cats and the chickens and the dog did i did i tell you did i tell you that we um <laughs> we are without guinea pigs the guinea pigs have gone did i mention this already i can't remember it's you know since christmas they've gone my my wife was very diligent um and vetted potential new homes Eventually, it was just one because I think maybe one person expressed interest and then never followed up. And then another person expressed interest and they were a good fit for the two brothers, the two, <laughs> the two <coughs> sorry, the two butt sniffing, the, the two butt sniffing popcorning um, brothers, Shaggy and Leo. And they are gone, baby, gone. They are residing not not a million miles from here um, with a, a family with many, many children from young to old. I think it was one of the older children that was inter- interested in having them as pets. So what can I tell you? Their loss has not been felt keenly. <laughs> we were glad to be rid of them. And it just wasn't a good quality of life for them. They were, don't get me wrong, they were very well looked after. But they sort of <laughs> gradually moved from centre stage and just a little bit further to the wings. And then basically they fetched up in the props closet, the utility room in their quarters, just doing circles, sniffing each other's butts, getting fed, getting excited, popcorning. I'll remind you, popcorning is the is the word. It's the guinea pig word for when guinea pigs get very excited and jump little not quite alley-oops but they jump um almost like a sprung toy bouncing off the floor and that's what they do and they make little warbly chirbly gerbly sounds <laughs> almost like r2d2 so you know on that level i could always enjoy them but 
they weren't particularly interested or interesting. They're not, they, 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 they I mean, I, I don't know. I don't know what relationship people have with guinea pigs. I was, I was always quite neutral on them. My daughter had phases of interest until almost no interest was the norm. And uh, my poor old wife was the one who did most of the caring for them and cleaning of their quarters. I used to feed them every morning a little plate of nibbles and I would procure those nibbles from a a local pet shop. Um, But yeah, Shaggy and Leo. Bon voyage, mes amis. Safe journey, little hairy popcorning friends. They're gone. Um, yes, so why did that come up? Why was I referring to the denizens of, oh yeah, Valentine's Day, the denizens of hashtag blessed? Um, I mean, uh, like what's, what's the bottom line? What's the bottom line? My wife has virtually no interest in romance. Is that, is that a brutal thing to say? Particularly that type of romance, the Valentine's Day hard sell and you know endless red cards and love hearts and teddy bears and roses um you know we see through it for what it is the scam my daughter is more interested um just because my daughter lives (laughs) My, my daughter lives for events what are we doing today so what's the plan tomorrow what are we doing tomorrow um and today in fact uh, at the time of recording it's pancake tuesday so last night she was like we're having pancakes for breakfast you're making pancakes and i'm like well there's no lemon because you at all et drank all the lemons squeezy lemons those little plastic lemons my daughter has a fondness for squeezing extravagant and multiple squirts of of lemon into a glass of water um so I go to get lemon for pancakes and there's none in the in the press, the cupboard. The larder was bare. So I said, well, I'm not doing pancakes because you had all the lemon. And she was <laughs> very concerned. And I said, I'll make pancakes, don't worry. But it'll be fresh grapefruit juice instead of lemon and maple. Anyway, she just had chocolate spread on hers. Um, and she was she was happy. I dropped her to school and she tried to steal one of my uh, one of my hats, one of my beanies, one of my woolly hats, one that had been given to me uh, for my birthday by my friend Ian. So this is a Polish hat that I'm quite fond of. And I saw my daughter skittering across our yard with the hat on. I said, no, that hat is staying here because I'll be wearing it today. I wear it as I record so she had a row with me in the car about that and gave out about terrible 80s style and just went on a rant about how terrible I am and, you know, my wife is. And um, and I, you know, I had sympathy for her position in general. And I just said at the time in her life when she is most interested in having fun and changing things up and making things interesting and diverting and keeping things fresh um my wife and i are probably um enduring one of the most stressful (laughs) periods of our life and we're just not feeling we're not feeling that joy that spontaneity that uh, carefreeness um we are feeling embattled and worn out and just yeah just wrecked i think from um just for you know and yeah and by the way i'm I'm not trying to single my myself and my wife out for for special consideration i think this is just an aspect or a facet of of middle age um it's definitely an aspect of living in ireland at this time and the cost of trying to sustain a, a just a baseline um acceptable standard of living particularly if you come from our backgrounds um, artistic, creative, freelance backgrounds. Um, it's a juggle. It's a dance, and yeah, it, it, things get things get very spiky at times. So um, yeah, I was just kind of laying that out for my my daughter. She loves my lectures. She loves my uh, reality checks. And um, anyway, she left at the car with her own hat, reluctantly threatening to throw it in a bin. <laughs> 
it's so it's so funny to see her walk through the um the little uh you know railing gate um a sort of uh what 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 what, what, what kind of gate a hinged gate that allows one person to pass through at a time they were put in in that school when i attended there a million years ago um I spent, I think, my last two years of primary school in that school when it was brand new, which must have been around 80, 84, 85, roughly. Um, I would have finished up in June, June, July, end of June, 86, I think would have been at the end of my time there. So it's funny seeing my, my daughter walk through the same kind of, uh, yeah, the style uh, and then up the steps to the school. It's um, it's quite the trip. Um, yeah, no, it's funny. I mean, and like I, I, I'm sure I've mentioned it before. I mean, we're what is it now? Mid February, so we're back in Ireland almost four years. And yesterday, I had a lovely walk up the up in the hills, up in the mountain, with my my good friend Will. Uh, who was one of my best buds in primary school. We've connected, reconnected very strongly since moving back because he lives just up the road and in fact accommodated us when we arrived desperately, absolutely, um, you know, spent uh, when we arrived back in Ireland at the start of the pandemic and all those lockdown conditions were there and he put us up on his uh, his property, which was absolute godsend. Um, I'll always be grateful for that. But the point I'm making is, you know, this thing of kind of reconnecting with you know people you knew in, in childhood. Um, and we were descending the mountain and past an old classmate of mine. She was walking up the hill with one of her daughters. She's also a, recent, a recently returned emigre. She'd been in England and came back a couple of years ago to the area. Um, it's kind of nice. It, it is kind of nice um, just to be reminded of the the connections and the 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 roots and in spite of in spite of things being having been kind of challenging enough for lots of different reasons over the last few years and the pandemic was definitely part of that not not exactly a great entry point to be negotiating the pandemic as you relocate from the other side of the world we were uh, a reminder if you're a new listener we were in Melbourne for 10 years where my wife was born but didn't live for very long as a child. She lived in different parts of Australia. Um, so, yeah, but it's been, yeah, it's, 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 I haven't regretted coming back. Um, although there are certain kind of directions Ireland is moving in are really fundamental social problems particularly around the area of housing and healthcare um, and social sort of support and government support. These are not strong areas. And I think the kind of ongoing government mismanagement and sort of cowardice and failure to implement uh, a sustainable vision and giving into larger corporate interests, um, it, it just that can become very dispiriting and I have found myself for the first time wondering should we be here at all um, long term should we consider not staying in Ireland um, which is hard I don't that doesn't fill me with any pleasure but for the first time in the last couple of weeks I've been kind of thinking hmm you know if this country can't actually look after people and um provide pathways to to stability um real stability social stability and sustainable housing and healthcare solutions um yeah i don't know it's um these aren't small things these are not small things and i just i despair at the the general direction the the you know the country is moving in and i certainly feel you know my wife and i we you know we'd be we'd be vulnerable we'd be vulnerable to that climate and those pressures and 
I just think we've reached a point in our lives where we have no tolerance, uh, <laughs> no tolerance for it, and not much in the way of, um, I don't know, a very compromised sort of resilience. Um, anyway, I'm speaking a little bit cryptically, and this isn't coming from nowhere. But I'll stop because that's all sounding a bit too negative, which I, I didn't really want to get stuck on that. Um, what did I want to talk about today? I don't know. I'll give you a weather report because that's important. It's important to know what we're dealing with here in the Emerald Isle. Um, of course, if you're local, you know what it is. It is damp. It's just one of those windless, steady drizzles. I think last week I gave you a weather report as well. It was heavier rain, but this is just drizzle. It's just this very quiet, still, constant dampening of everything. It's kind of lovely. The grass is covered in moisture. Um, the sky is white. It's just one enormous cloud. <laughs> I was in swimming earlier uh, after I dropped my daughter to school. I hit the recycling centre and then put myself in the water for the first time in about six days. It felt really cold. It felt like there was a lot of fresh water in the sea, which always drops the temperature. But uh, I was in for over 10 minutes, which I was I was impressed with myself for that. Um, it's probably, it, the again, my sources tell me it was um, just over 8 degrees Celsius. It felt colder than that to me. Um... But, yeah, always good for you. Always good. I never regret getting in the water. And in fact, only yesterday, somebody connected to my Thursday night football game threw up uh, a link to um, to a nice little article from another one of the footballing guys who sadly hasn't played with us for a good while. And I had no idea. This is the way it goes with football. <laughs> this is so typical of men. Um, you know, it's, a, it's, it's, you know, just a group of guys you know from probably mid 30s to mid 50s we play on a thursday night um five or six aside game of soccer the round ball game football um on on an artificial pitch astroturf outdoors all weather um for an hour and it's very very enjoyable and i'm sure i've mentioned this before quite you know you know, a, a, a sort of an always improving standard of football. Um, some really good players there, and guys who've played in the past, um, and then guys like me who just try to uh, make up for a lack of skill with fitness and effort and kind of commitment. Um, but in any case, some of those guys know each other from you know the local area. Um, the area is not particularly local to me. It's about thirty a thirty five minute drive from here for me. Um, but you just turn up and play that's it that's the focus turn up and play have a bit of banter maybe during maybe after the game um, but you're not kind of asking each other so what do you do where do you live are you married how many children do you have and um, in fact I, <laughs> I bumped into one of the, the regular guys who I often have a good laugh with um, one of the last midterm breaks we both found ourselves watching, um, what was that movie? Oh, I was terrible. Trolls, and one of those Trolls movies. Trolls Trolls 3, 4, I can't even remember how many they were. It was absolutely appalling. Anyway, he was there with his two children. I was there with Maeve, my daughter. And I said hello to him in there. That was grand. And then afterwards, you know, I said hello again. I had a bit of chat and <laughs> it was almost like... He's like, no, we're not. We're not meant to interact. We just play football together. He wasn't, you know, <laughs> he wasn't been. There was no hostility, or uh, he wasn't giving me a, a vibe. <laughs> but I could just tell. Okay, you know, I was kind of like, hello, I'm Dara, <laughs> introducing myself to his children, and uh, anyway, it was funny. But in any case, one of the guys, I, the guy I just mentioned, who didn't, hasn't played with us for a long time, I just found out recently because of this link. Another one of the guys threw up. He's a counsellor and psychotherapist and he put up this lovely um, article on his website about the benefits of cold water swimming and how it stimulates the vagus nerve the vagus nerve um, I you know I'm an idiot 
I constantly, constantly come across social media posts um, advocating or explaining the vagus nerve and the benefits of uh, understanding what that vagus nerve does. And I always glance and read, oh, yeah. (laughs) And then I walk away going, I haven't really, I still, I haven't really taken in what that is, the vagus nerve. I saw something online just the other day with, um, um, there's a, a very good um, psychologist on Instagram. She calls herself the holistic psychologist and puts up lots of really interesting tidbits. And she has a very successful book. And she was just demonstrating that the vagus nerve can be stimulated in, in by putting your fingers in your kind of lower ear your lower ear hole and applying a bit of pressure and it'll instantly contribute to de-stressing and calming down. And fundamentally in that article uh, on the cold water swimming, the the the, um, the writer, the counsellor and psychotherapist, that's what he was saying as well. Uh, you know, the, the vagus nerve gets activated and it's obviously connected to various, you know, chemicals and internal responses in the brain and yeah lots of lots of nice things anyway there you go i have shared no information of value there you're going just just find out the vagus nerve is idiot um yeah so there you go look i am going to just share some thoughts on what on the lovely time i had last week i was very lucky to go up and spend a few days in county down in the River Mill Writers Retreat, fantastic place, owned and run by Paul Mattern. Um, very nice man, a poet, um, a former dancer, former uh, kind of catering sector restaurant guy working in that sector, not as a chef, but lots of stories. Um, you know, and a very well published and celebrated poet um, in his own right and he just has this lovely place set up up near um, Downpatrick and a friend of ours put, put us onto it and my wife booked me a stay there and it was just fantastic it was so lovely and part of the deal is um, that it's catered so Paul comes in and cooks twice a day lots of gorgeous food mm, you know lots of it Um I just found, oh God, I can't keep, I can't keep eating. <laughs> it's all delicious, but I, I'm, I, yeah, I can't, I can't find the place to put it, but it was really, really lovely. And my kind of, my, you know, different thoughts. One is that, you know, you step into a place and the energy just feels right. The, you know, the, the, you know, the ambience, um, the way the place is laid out, you're just stepping into this zone where everything feels so conducive to achieving the purpose of the place, which is, yeah, to to have that downtime, that quiet time, that concentration time to write, to work in such a peaceful environment and, you know, time to think, to reflect, to try and access the, the creative juices. Um and it just felt it just felt luxurious um in terms of the the energy the the, the headspace that it gifted me um and i happened to be there by myself the first couple of nights paul himself doesn't live in the live in the house um so that was even you know on one level even nicer even though i had been looking forward to maybe some company just for talking about writing and whatnot although paul and i had some great conversations in that area uh, he's also a former film student, so we were talking movies, and he had a lovely selection of uh, of DVDs. And I did find myself succumbing to that impulse, and I watched and very much enjoyed again for the first time in an awfully long time. Nineteen sixty eight's The Lion in Winter, um, with Peter O'Toole and Catherine Hepburn, amongst others. I'll I'll return to that momentarily. Um, but it was great and you know it, it it definitely achieved the purpose i got to sit down with the blank page so to speak on the laptop 
and I didn't really know what I was going to write. I had a bit of anxiety heading up, heading up there, because um, I just was like, I know I write, I can write, I do write, but I haven't been writing lately. I haven't been writing. I didn't do much writing at all last year, maybe even the previous year, the last couple of years, and. I've mentioned at different times my desire or aspiration to try and at some point produce something long form. Um, And I've been kind of in my mind, yeah, and I've I've had very little headspace for this anyway and just been busy with life and just really hard to carve out the time to do it. But, you know, in my mind, I've been prevaricating, you know, Every time this thought crosses the threshold of my mind, I've been prevaricating, going, like, what is it? Like, what is the thing? What do I want to try and explore? What do I want to write? And um, what form should it take? Should I stay with what I've written mostly, and certainly what I've shared most publicly, is more sort of think pieces, personal reflections, personal storytelling, um, you know, a focus on, you know, what I talk about here on the podcast, a focus on emotional, psychological well-being, um, an ongoing focus on the internal landscape, on interiority, on that experience, the negotiation of self, the negotiation of identity, um, how we try to carve out that sense of rightness um, in terms of how we're sort of... Um, I don't mean right as in I'm right, you're wrong, but right as in um, how we're oriented correctly for ourselves in the universe, in the world. Um, How we reconcile the inner striving or the inner disposition, the inner reckoning, how we reconcile that with the, the uncontrollables. Uh, how we reconcile that with the the outside external realities that you know rarely <laughs> accommodate us that are um, uninterested and disinterested in what we care about and what we feel we need and what we want to do and the the I think the the objective, if we're talking about trying to be happy, and I, I rarely speak about happy because, you know, being happy as an objective, I find a very uh, limited idea. Um, and, you know, wellness has been kind of traduced by so many, but, but you know, by just an, an, an over an over sort of proliferation of of people like me <laughs> different different kind of wellness advocates and life coaches and wellness influencers and the, you know so much of that takes place in the social media realm and on our little devices and screens and my well established position is that I'm very very dubious about an awful lot of that stuff now you can cherry pick as i have done and you find you know two or three or four people you go yeah i like i like their thing you know it's it's coming from a a real place um but the yeah as i say my 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 conviction is the the successful um cultivation of a resilient wellness is very much connected to this reconciling of the inner and the outer, um, the private self and the, 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 the public self, the inward facing and the outward facing. Um, and it's, it's tricky. And, you know, my, my assumption is everyone is doing this on some level. Um, I mean, I've chosen with my life choices, I've chosen to spend a lot of time thinking in this area. I've spent, I've now spent a lot of time um, over 10 years presenting 
those thoughts, those reactions, those responses, that thinking present, I've spent over 10 years presenting that in you know a public way, first with the, the, the website, the blog, and now with the the weekly podcast, which um, what's this episode one four three? So for one hundred and forty three weeks in a row, um, I've been stepping a toe into this. Now I know there's been a lot of other things that I've spoken about, and obviously my interest in in films, um, you know, comes up again and again. And sometimes, so often, episodes aren't particularly um reflective or introspective but often i'll connect certain thoughts or thinking to movies i've seen or what they've triggered in me or made me think about um so yeah so in any case i was traveling up on uh, wednesday of last week and just not kind of trying not to put my trying not to put myself under any pressure trying to go no don't worry you'll think of something, you'll think of something, you know, just get your, get your arse up there and just see what feels right. Um, and that's, you know, that's a general rule of thumb for me. Um, you know, I'll go on that kind of what feels right. What's going to, you know, just that, 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 that's based on a sort of a, you know, an, an intuition, a gut feeling, um, but also a listening to myself and a, a, a sort of unwieldy, ungraspable, you know, process of of trust and faith that something will come, that things will settle, that the muddy glass will become clear. And on the, the evening I arrived, um, I really, I was just too wrecked. I was like, am I, I, I just, I just decided I'm not going to put myself under pressure to sit down and, you know, be brilliant right now and produce something. Because as I said, I, I didn't have a starting point. And also I had a new laptop. So all, any kind of bits and pieces I'd written, um, I had transferred a lot of my kind of Word docs and, beginnings of things and you know a couple of thousand words here a couple of thousand words there they were all sitting on a hard drive um behind in wicklow i didn't bring it with me um an oversight on my part but you know also i thought look don't worry about it let's just see where you go anyway one thing i don't have a problem with is getting up early and i knew i was going to do that i knew i was going to get up early and go to bed reasonably early and try and maximize that early morning time and the first half of the day time for you know being productive so i was out in the garden doing my usual thing my kind of qigong stretching breathing exercises um and yeah i just got that i got that clarity the next morning at whatever five in the morning in the dark wrapped up hatted and gloved and scarved um and going through the moves and yeah i got the clarity on what i was going to try and begin writing anyway and fundamentally it's um fundamentally what it was was i, I was like yeah i i'll continue exploring the journey my journey from from childhood to adult continue and continue exploring the journey from inner to outer and try and depict that and capture that in a way that feels uh, interesting, easy to read, um, relatable, um, you know, in a way that my my voice wants to express it. Um, And that, yeah, and that was how I began. And I did a little bit on, you know, the, the, the Thursday and the Friday and again up on Saturday morning very early to try and do a bit more. And I managed to do a bit every day. And it was a really useful, useful time and a really useful exercise. Um, and one thing that I came away with that I thought was really useful was just a very clear sense of voice and you know and and i mean like a, a writing voice the the 
the type of voice that felt to me more alive, more dynamic, lighter, um, had more sort of energy in it. And some of what I wrote, I feel, was successful in that area. And that's definitely a voice I like. And the then I'd find myself getting bogged down and my brain or my or whatever the, the writing impulse was would take me to a different place. And I was kind of like, what is this? What is this change? Because I'm not enjoying myself. I'm not enjoying producing these words. These are heavy and ponderous and maybe a little bit pompous. And I'm sort of above it and not in it. Um, and it took me the, you know, the two and a half, the three days to sort of go, oh, okay, this is what's happening. I see. I can feel, I can feel the sort of the balloon coming down to earth. I can feel the, you know, the, the weight of the writing sinking into the mud. Um, so I was doing quite a lot of editing and, you know, excisions, you know, you know, you know ripping out, you know, paragraphs that I felt, no, this is, I don't need this. And, you know, in that sort of kill your darlings spirit, um, but maybe these are not darlings if I'm like, get the hell off my page. <laughs> anyway, um, yeah, so look, that's... Um, that's just my bit of um you know reportage of the process and what went on um at the, the river mill writers retreat so thanks again to to paul for a really lovely time a lovely experience and yeah thanks to my wife for getting me up there and if you know if i'm still doing this and if i'm still um making those attempts to write and produce something uh that might fill the page you know fill a book um oh you can be sure you can be sure i will let you know um but it was an interesting it was an interesting experience just to retread some childhood ground and cast myself into that that world again the world of childhood memory um i'm just trying to trying to be deft in how i described certain experiences and certain moments as i try to maybe establish currents and themes that will carry that narrative up to the present moment um and I mean, I think ultimately my objective is the, the the sort of revelation of and exploration of my own sort of interiority and drawing connections between that and external struggles, outward struggles. Um, and yeah, in, in the hope that that will be something that would be interesting to people. Um, you know, in the hope that it might be, I mean, it's highly unlikely that you'd produce something that hasn't been written about before. Um, but maybe you might, I won't say you, I mean me. <laughs> you know, I'm hoping there might be something in the way I write about things that will be um, intriguing enough or maybe even refreshing enough to to attract a readership. He says, after, you know, <laughs> producing seven or eight pages <laughs> of, of, of writing. Anyway, to be continued to be continued at some point in the future. Uh, so to return to, to return to The Lion in Winter. And I feel I was speaking about this movie before Christmas because it came up in the Sylvester Stallone documentary. And Stallone 
made it very clear that The Lion in Winter was one of his favourite movies. And it was very clear, watching the documentary, that the reason it was one of Stallone's very, one of his favourite movies was because it was all about fathers and sons. And sons craving the the love and validation and approval of the father who was a very slippery, treacherous, <laughs> self-absorbed character um, and a parent with a callous disregard for the, the feelings and needs of his grown-up children. Um, and that was very clear that that had huge resonance for Stallone and his own childhood and his own relationship with his father who was clearly uh, a tricky character and very competitive with his son um, and was still trying to dominate um, Sylvester Stallone uh, as an older man um, there's a, a story of a, a polo match in the Stallone documentary and the father I don't know did he, did he crack Stallone over the head with the mallet or just crash into him on the horse it was pretty unsavoury stuff you're like oh lads really like that you know that type of combative and desperate masculinity the, the the desire to dominate another man um, and when that's coming from an older man towards his adult son um, who at that stage in Stallone's case had had enormous success yeah it's very um, I don't know I don't know I'm not trying to to, to, to to judge it I'm not clutching my pearls because ultimately it always makes sense. <laughs> You're like, oh, okay, you just haven't, you haven't let go of that sense of yourself. Uh, your sense of power is still located in that area. I'm the alpha. I'm going to dominate. I will not lose face. Everyone will see that I'm the man. Um, I worry. I worry about guys like that. And I worry about their reluctance or inability to to be to be vulnerable to accept a certain diminishment to accept uh being less than um and i think for any of us you know we we all have to negotiate that on some level you know whether male or female um that's just part of it's part of life it's part of aging it's part of experiencing failure and disappointment it's part of compromise and but but it's also part of like maturation. It's also part of just growing up. It's also part of coming to peace with yourself. Um, so hopefully you can take those disappointments and failures and contextualize them, put perspective on them, and process them in a in a way that's not detrimental to your your sense of self, your 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 self worth. Um, but yeah, in any case. The, the Lion in Winter, um, it's a great watch. Directed by Anthony Harvey, um, and it was a kind of a Peter O'Toole production. He was very centrally involved in casting and you know giving it the green light it needed. Scored by John Barry, who did the James Bond music in this kind of almost sub-exorcist uh, kind of motif um, sort of dramatic choral stuff um, but effective and interesting and evocative and shot by Douglas Slocum in again just this very like using a lot of it looked like it looked like you know using a lot of natural light and getting the most out of available light um and certainly there's a, a sequence early on in the in the film where Catherine Hepburn um played uh, playing Eleanor of Aquitaine um 
the, the wife of Henry II, uh, Peter O'Toole's character, who's been you know, locked up in a tower by him, but she's released for special events. And she's been brought up the, the river on a uh, suitable ship, you know, rowed by several oarsmen. And there's just this, you know, the photography of the arrival of the ship and the, the, the progress of the ship along the river with trees on the riverbank in the background and the prow advancing across the screen and the sound of the water. Uh, yeah, really, really effective, really beautiful. And there are other shots that are like, um, again, I'll betray my my art history ignorance, but they, they feel like, I don't know, uh, maybe, you know, pastoral scenes from Belgian artists of the 1600s or 1500s. Um, you know, just that mixture of natural earthy tones and um, peasant activity, rural activity. Um, and there are just a few shots in the film that kind of tap into that as well. Because much of the film takes place in indoors, in the inside the, the walls and rooms of this castle where... Henry has assembled everyone for Christmas. This film is sometimes included in people's lists of you know great Christmas movies. Um, now it depends what you're after in a Christmas movie. I'm very much on the record here on this podcast um, in terms of my own relationship to Christmas movies. I like something Christmassy. <laughs> and Christmassy in the best sense. I'm drawn towards the, the sentimental and you know stories of uplift and stories of transformation and salvation not in a deeply religious sense but just i like those narratives at christmas i like the the kind of the hero journey um epitomized by by james stewart in it's a wonderful life and what he goes through as george bailey but the the simple truth is of course christmas's uh, <laughs> and Christmas gatherings and particularly Christmas family gatherings can be hellish events fraught with vendetta and resentment and anger and bad behaviour and outbursts and drunkenness and what have you uh, undercurrents of deep familial anxiety and rivalry um and yeah as i said vendettas this kind of score settling vibe and this the kind of the 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 kind of foment of unrest emotional turmoil the raging torrents of that turmoil under the surface constantly um and the lion in winter if you remove the historical trappings and um you know don't try and subject it to the historical accuracy test and just think of it as a soap opera a family drama with two incredibly sort of enmeshed parents who have serious scores to settle uh, with each other and then three power-hungry sons, um, you know, with different levels of desert and competence. Um, but everyone sort of frothing at the bit to move their respective chess pieces on the board to achieve their ends. Um and it's such a dance of a movie. Um, and then there's, you know, the two other, you know, the two other main characters apart from, apart from um, Peter O'Toole and Catherine Hepburn as the, you know, the king and queen and the three sons who we'll get to in a second. The other two main characters are the young French prince played by a very young and slippery and svelte uh, Timothy Dalton um, you know again quite 
he looks very theatrical just the style of his his uh, his look and his facial hair and his his eyes um you know kind of a striking looking young man um but there's him uh and then there's the peter o'toole's young mistress who he claims he is going to marry so he wants to annul his marriage to Catherine Hepburn's queen to marry this young Alice. Um, I've just gone blank on the, the, the actress's name. So she's also trying to kind of negotiate this. And she, more than anyone, is you know a pawn in the game of people with far more power than she has. Um, but it's... Yeah, it, 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 it's just it's it's just a great entertainment. It's quite theatrical and stagey. Um, I think was it adapted from a stage play? You could just see so many of the scenes just playing out on stage. And Catherine Hepburn and Peter O'Toole are just tearing it up. Um, Hepburn at that point was about sixty-one, um, and still really did look great and had great sort of energy and presence and poise all the things she would have been known for and you know just a great command of of language and tone and cadence um and intent um but in a way peter o'toole is still after all these years he's still the revelation he at that time i think was only 36 perhaps he'd done lawrence of arabia about six years earlier so he's like 36 or 38 and he's playing the aging king and in this case in the in the story of the movie that meant he he was 50 and bemoaning the onset of of decrepitude and old age um and you to look at him you know he, he wasn't in particularly aged makeup but just the way he used his body um, and there would have been a little bit of work done into his face, but it, he was very credible. He was very credible as a as a peer of Catherine Hepburn's, um, even though she would have been like an older queen, I think, to his younger king. But he didn't feel that far away from her in age, um, and he has a has a beard, and he's not in any way glamorous and matinee idol styled as he was for Lawrence of Arabia where his physical beauty was such a key component of the effectiveness of that film uh, here he's you know, wearing kind of very uh, dark toned big woolly garments you know to keep warm in this cold castle and it's really his emotional furnace that keeps things hot and again, just the, the fluidity of his performance, the dexterity of his line readings and his emotional dexterity as he negotiates the different beats of the story and the different relationships he has with his sons. Um, and just the, 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 the energy that he can bring, the, 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 the vocal power and the physical energetic power he can bring to a moment to a scene absolutely brilliant um and the the three sons um the most famous of the three sons cast was uh anthony hopkins it was his first screen role and his lovely uh welsh tones are are very discernible um anytime he speaks and again his innate strength and presence as an actor um just clearly there to be enjoyed um and then the other actors were i'm gonna i'm gonna fail on this test and i was i was i was, I was looking at the, the biographies of these actors um they were very good as well was it nigel terry was he the kind of young buffoony youngest son really completely hapless and then it was the cold, scheming son. And I have gone blank on his name. Um, he was a John. I'd have to look it up. Um, I might look it up just while I'm, I'm, I'm talking here. 
because he was very good as well and a very different energy to to the other actors a very different energy to O'Toole and you know a type um you know an, an archetype you know the scheming cold quiet son um you know machiavellian regarding everything constantly calculating and assessing um and you know a, a great look okay i'm trying to remember who it was i'm going to tell you now in two seconds yeah john castle um again i think it might have been his first film as well and he and anthony hopkins were pals i think they might have been in acting school together so um a lot of fun a lot of fun has been had on set if you you know if you, if you look at the sort of um commentary that goes with the movie um or the the interviews with the cast um Catherine Hepburn giving Anthony Hopkins acting tips don't do anything just be just be yourself you've got the face you've got the voice you've got the the physical presence you don't have to add just you know just say the lines basically um and yeah it's all there um hopkins was playing richard who who would become richard the lionheart so you know these are all based on historical figures uh and just yeah so it's just this great melodramatic romp and um yeah <laughs> just a family at war and what Catherine Hepburn and Peter O'Toole do so effectively is make you believe in their love their ages old love and these young people around them scrambling for power and favour they're just like bothersome flies or gnats or bees and they're engaging with them because they have to it's an obligation and there are things that have to happen and have to be done and have to be observed and what you get is the sense of just they're just just a source of annoyance and even the, the young french king who o'toole as the king patronizingly addresses as boy uh two or three times to uh, explosive effect um but what lasts from the film really is the strength of their relationship um henry and eleanor as embodied by peter o'toole and Catherine hepburn and that's coming from the actors uh, as well who were friends in real life and their chemistry was excellent and the final sort of uh, the final scene in the film is you know after a very very dramatic night where you know it could have all end in bloodshed and the sons were thrown into a dungeon and then freed by Catherine Hepburn um so there's a big you know row and high stakes negotiation with the raging Peter O'Toole and his sons um but somehow the night passes and Peter O'Toole is escorting in great good humor um Catherine Hepburn back to her boat to be returned to her tower and they're just flirting with each other and joking that um, and this is as Catherine Hepburn is now on the boat and departing down the river and Peter O'Toole is just kind of roaring at her from the shore you know perhaps we should just outlive them all um, and kind of give them nothing and we'll be the only two left and he's just roaring with laughter from the shore and you know it is theatrical it's a bit cheesy it's a bit over the top and yet Catherine Hepburn meets it and it works because they're great actors they make you believe it um and it, yeah it really is it, it, it's a great great watch um and just that final scene that final scene it just had me reflecting on on my own parents and just thinking of what they've had to put up with over the years i'm one of four sons and there've been lots of 
if not Christmases, um, although there have been some, you know, various family events and gatherings and dramas and, um, you know, explosive moments. I've been guilty of some of those myself. And it's a it's all it's all in the mix of and it depends. It depends where you come from. It depends what your family situation is. But uh, there's nothing straightforward about my family. And there's a great vying for. Um, I don't you know. Power is not the right word, but um, I don't know. Justice, it feels at times. Um, the writing of wrongs, uh, the airing of grievances, and it's um, it can, it, you know it's been volatile over the years, over the over our lifetimes, and certainly as I got older, that all cooled, and you get you get a bit more distance and a bit more perspective, and of course this comes back to the idea of maturation and dealing with your own stuff and putting down that accusatory blaming pointing finger and accepting yeah not much is going to change here i'll just try and get on my own my own um process my own work on myself um and my (laughs) and my parents have they have behaved they have behaved like peter o'toole and catherine hepburn at times you know in the line in winter there have been just you know there has been kind of evident demonstrated palpable disregard for their sons and what we care about what we're interested in and you know that's individual i'm not i'm not trying to say we have a collective need it's all individual stuff everyone has their own issues um but they have behaved in a totally self-interested way um with absolutely no care for the consequences um on myself or my my brothers um just yeah brats and i've one or two episodes in my head i needn't bother share them now but that's there was just this sort of moment of of resonance of of connection which was how that how the lion in winter ended and that sense of you know them regarding their their children as just inconvenient Idiots. (laughs) Idiots. <laughs> and yeah, let's just get on with our own our own thing, our own dynamic. And they're on their own. Um and maybe you know, maybe that's maybe that speaks maybe that speaks to many adult parents of adult children who are like, Yeah <laughs> I get it. <laughs> ah, okay, that's it. I'm done. I'm done, I'm done, I'm done. The um the drizzle has remained constant no change no deviation it really is quite lovely uh okay so that was it that was um episode 143 you're so good if you came and listened and stayed for my thoughts on my own writing process and my thoughts on the lion and winter the lion in winter and uh yeah whatever else I was talking about at the bottom. I, I, I don't listen to myself, and I expect, but I expect you to listen. That's rude, isn't it? Um, or is that just what we all do on some level? All right, I'm gone. Um, you can, as always, throw me love. Throw me love, baby. Throw me love on social media. Uh, the Clear Out podcast is on Instagram, YouTube, Facebook. They're mainly where I, 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 I am. Uh, so if you want to throw a comment, throw a recommend, rate the podcast somewhere, give a review somewhere, that all helps. And if you're really into this thing that I do, you can throw hard-earned shekels my way. Hard-earned dollars, pounds, euros, whatever, um, using the Patreon link. That's patreon.com forward slash the clear out. And that would be most welcome indeed. That would be brilliant. That'd be that's quite the validation. Otherwise, I'll just keep on validating myself. Dara, you're a good one. Keep the faith. Okay, thank you so much for listening. Uh, I'll be back next week with something else. Um, oh, one other thing. I am. I'm back at the Irish Museum of Modern Art 
on Wednesdays at 12 o'clock. I'll be there for the next month and a half um, uh, doing the mindfulness training, really, is what it is. It's mindfulness instruction. I call it the receptive mind, and it takes place at Camerino Bakery at the Irish Museum of Modern Art in Kilmainham, Wednesdays at 12 p.m. Before Christmas, it was 11 a.m., so that lunchtime slot, 12 p.m., it's about a 50-minute class, 12 p.m. to about 10 to 1. Love to see you there. You can drop in. You don't need to book. Bring a pal. Bring many pals. And, uh, yeah, you'll have a you'll have a good experience. I'm sure of it. And I'll give you tools to help you keep your head on and keep calm and feel grounded and in control of what you've got. That's all very welcome stuff, I believe. Okay. Take it easy. Thanks again for listening. Mind yourselves. All the best. Bye.